You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome this morning. I pray that, uh, uh, that you're well. You're awake? Yes? If you're, if you're awake, don't say anything. All right, good. Everybody's awake. No, let's wait. Let's, uh, let's look at the, at the Word of God together. Um, we're glad that you're here this morning to our family members of the church and to our guests. Um, would you please open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 12? Verses four through seven, Luke 12, four through seven. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And um, before we read our passage, what I'd like to do is I would like to look at our monthly memory verse together that you all have been focusing on throughout this month. And uh, we're going to have it on the screen so you can just say it with me. Okay, let's just read it from the screen together. If you're so bold, close your eyes and see if you can do it without looking, Um, and uh, and, and then we'll talk about it for just a few minutes before we then get into the passage for today. You ready? Here we go. All Scripture is breathed out by God, cover your eyes, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Good job, everybody. I see people not looking. Let's do it one more time. You ready? All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Good job, everybody. Now, What we're going to do is just take a few minutes on this, and then we're going to get into our passage. But last week, if you remember, we looked at this passage together, and what we said was that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. What does that mean, uh, to to have all Scripture breathed out by God? In the Greek, breathed out by God, that phrase in the Greek is theonoustos. One word made up of theo, which refers to who? God. And then neustos, P-N-E-U-S-T-O-S. That, that word comes from pneuma, which I'm not sure if you know, translates to breath or spirit or even sometimes wind. Okay, so put this together, and this refers to in the scripture, the Holy Spirit, right? So the study of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology, right? So this word here that breathed out by God is theonoustos, God's spirit brought about this scripture. So our memory verse helps us to understand that all 
scripture, the Bible, is given to us by God's holy, what? Spirit. So 2 Peter 1, 16 through 17 says this, and, and, I, and I had some conversations with some friends this week about this particular passage. It was on my mind, especially because of this message. It says this, Peter writes this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Like we didn't make this up. We saw it, right? When did you see it, Peter? When he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, remember this, on the Mount of Transfiguration that we looked at together as a church, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, the Father's voice verifying the, the deity of, of, of Jesus, his his uh, Messiahship and him being the Christ. He's verifying it from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter says, verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, this is really crazy, but we know this is true because we heard it. Yet, Peter says something else. There's something even more sure than us hearing with our own ears. And what is that? He's saying this, your ears can deceive you, your eyes can deceive you, but we have the prophetic word, the word of God, the scriptures, that are more fully confirmed than what we even saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, here's why. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Some people say, well, here's how I interpret this passage. Here's how I think this, what this passage means. Well, that's not what the scriptures say we should do. There's a, there's a real interpretation of scripture. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but here's how the scriptures were written. Ready? Men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? Theo. Nustos, right? All scripture was breathed out by God's spirit. So God wrote all scripture by his spirit through human authors. So can I, can I tell you how this is relevant to you? What in the world could you need more than the very words of God? This is, this is, the greatest possession that we have. The word of God, the truth of God written for us, even more fully confirmed than hearing it by yourself, right? Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna go on a little tangent, but I'm gonna refrain. Here's the next thing I wanna point out about this before we get into Luke. The profitability of scripture is in this verse too. It's profitable. Why, what do we see in this? There's the profitability. What's it profitable for? It's right there, you can see it. Teaching, reproof, correction, and what? Training in righteousness. We, we look at all these benefits together as a church each week, right? There's the profitability of scripture. It's profitable for us, which is the reason why we spend time together in God's word on a Sunday morning, this hour together. Why? Because 
It, the scriptures are profitable. Now, stay with me. Let, me. let me tell you something, okay? Jesus said to Peter in John chapter 21, he said, do you love me, Peter? Remember this? He said, he asked, he asked Peter, do you love me? And what did Peter reply? Remember, you know? Peter replied, yeah, I love you. Yes, I love you, right? To which then Jesus responded with, this is how you're gonna love me, Peter. Feed my sheep. You want to express your love for me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Referring to teach them the word. That's how you will supremely express your love for Jesus, right? And then Peter responds again. Jesus responds after Peter's response, and he says a second time, Peter, do you love me? And what's his response this time? He says, shepherd my sheep. And then again, he says, Peter, do you love me? And then he says, feed my sheep, right? And the pattern here is feed, shepherd, feed. And the reason why that is the feeding interprets the shepherding. How do you shepherd? You feed, you feed, right? This is, that's the why that pattern works like this. So here's what you, how you're gonna express your love for me, Peter. Feed what? Feed the word of God to my people. Why? Because it's profitable for them. To know me and to be like me. How are you going to shepherd my flock, Peter? By feeding them. So each week, as an expression of my love for the Lord, here's what I do throughout the week. I attempt to prepare a meal for you. A good, hearty, healthy, pure, right? A lot of food. So much sometimes that you, you're like, okay, I'm full, Right? which is called exposition, okay? Each week, that's what we're doing here. Exposition, you know what exposition means? It means to bring out of. You know what imposition means? Imposition means to put in. So imposition is when like you're putting your, you're exegeting your life experiences and you're putting them into the text. Exposition means you're just taking the meaning out of the text. It's already there. You're just seeing what it says. That's what we do. And each week, we do this for our sheep, the ones who have been entrusted to our care, our, our family here, the ones as 1 Peter 5, 2 says, have been entrusted to you. And guests, we're glad you're here too. You can eat too, right? Because the scriptures are profitable for us. Sheep coming in, sometimes goats coming in, shepherds watching closely, leading our people, feeding our sheep. And the hope is that for one hour per week, our sweetest and most intensely joy-filled hour with the word of God together, we'd be eating from him because it's profitable for us. Jesus said, eat my flesh. And you remember when he said that, a lot of people turned away, didn't follow him anymore. They said, this guy's crazy. He's just cannibalism right? But you know what Jesus said after that? He said, the flesh is of no value at all. It's my words that I'm talking about. My words give life. Eat of me. Eat my flesh. Eat my words. And they give life. That's what he's saying. So this is what we do as sheep because we're, we're following him. These scriptures are profitable for you to know God and to be like him. And one last thing, you know what the point is then? For the church, why we do this time is we're presenting every believer mature in Christ. 
That's what the goal is. That's what the purpose is. Come in, mature in Christ. Come in, mature in Christ. That's what we're doing, helping you to present you mature in Christ. A a new believer comes in, a non-believer. You reach someone, they come in, they're coming in, they're hearing, and then over time, mature in Christ. That's what Ephesians 4 says. So at the end of, of this time that we have here on earth, we're trying to present every believer mature in Christ, not thrown around by every wave and wind of doctrine, right? But stable upon the truth of God, becoming like Christ. And so this word is what does it. It's profitable for us. Okay. So now let's move into our text, which will be so profitable for us as we look at it. Luke chapter 12, verses four through seven. Okay. So let's read this together. Let's read this together. And then we're going to talk about it, okay? It's all we're going to do. So if you have a Bible, look at it. We're going to keep referring back to it. If you don't have one, there's always some on the back. Uh, uh, stools, you can grab one. If you don't have a Bible, you can just keep it, okay? And it's our gift to you. Don't steal from your neighbor because we're in church. But we want you to look at your Bible. Okay, here we go. You ready? I tell you, my friends, verse 4. Do not fear those who kill the body. This is Jesus speaking, red letter. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will tell you whom to fear. Fear him. Who after he has, uh, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, we've been making our way through Luke. And this is the passage we come upon. And so we're going to look at it. What we're seeing here, you ready? What we're seeing here is Jesus training his disciples to be free from spiritual hypocrisy, which is cleansing the outside, looking spiritual on the outside, being unconcerned with the spiritual inside. He's training his disciples to be free from spiritual hypocrisy. And he's training his disciples to be free from the fear of man, which is where spiritual hypocrisy comes from. Because you want to, You're more concerned with looking clean to others, the fear of man. Man is is who you're serving. So he's teaching his disciples here. He's saying, this is how the Pharisees are. Here's what's happened to the crowds. The leaven of the Pharisees, only caring about looking clean on the outside due to the fear of man, has spread. Beware of this, disciples. You, disciples, this is how you are to avoid this. You are to live like this. This is how you are to be free from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man. So Jesus is training his disciples to be free from spiritual hypocrisy and free from the fear of man. Doesn't that sound wonderful? And he's doing this through helping them to have a proper fear of the Lord. Let me say it again. Jesus is training his disciples here. Here's what we are seeing here. It's the main point. 
Training his disciples to be free from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man through helping them to have a proper fear of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is training his disciples in having a proper fear of the Lord and how it frees you from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man. That's, listen, that's the particular doctrine here. That's the particular message, truth, main point, authorial intent here. The fear of the Lord, that's why I've entitled this message, The Fear of the Lord and How It Frees You from Spiritual Hypocrisy and from the Fear of Man. If you have a life, a spiritual life, of cleaning the outside in order to look good in front of man, you obviously don't have a proper perspective of who you should ultimately serve and why. Many people think, well, if I fear man and have insecurities, can you help me not care so much about what people think? That's not the right question. The right question is, how do I put God in his rightful place so that I will serve him because, because he is the Lord? You have to, you, the solution that Jesus is offering is, don't worry about all these pragmatic solutions to fixing your spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man. Increase your fear of the Lord. Have an accurate view of who he is and what he requires. And then you will choose to serve him or you won't. Matthew 6 tells us that they've been doing this to be seen by others. Luke eleven thirty nine 39 says, now you Pharisees, remember this? You clean the outside of the cup, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So today we find freedom from spiritual hypocrisy. Listen, the desire, test yourself to, to diligently, regularly, methodically, repeatedly clean the outside of your spiritual lives. Because the main concern and priority is how you look in the eyes of others. So looking good and, and moral and righteous and religious and faithful and clean and wanting to be praised and wanting to have a superior place in society or even in the church, right? While ignoring or being ignorant to my sinful condition on the inside, my need for forgiveness before God through Christ and to be cleansed and transformed at a heart level through understanding, through repentance, through the truth of his word. We fail to even see our true condition because we are satisfied by looking clean on the outside he hasn't been put into his proper place of what he requires and who he is. Ain't no point of serving anything else when you understand that he's God and all that really matters is pleasing him, right? So to the church of Laodicea, this is what Christ writes, Revelation 3. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. 
For you say, here's what you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you then, listen, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be really rich, truly rich, which is faith in me, receiving white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So chapter 11, remember he says, you're unmarked graves. People don't see you as a grave, but you're really a grave. True cleansing can only come through Christ in the gospel, by his spirit, in his word. And this is what they need. This is what these sinners need. This is what we need. And yet, we're content to look at the outside only. We need freedom from spiritual hypocrisy. The only way that you're gonna be freed from that, if you come in week after week and you say, listen, I really wanna be freed. I really wanna please the Lord, but I just, just my habit to come in every week, as long as I look good to others, I'm content, but I, I know what's really going on on the inside of my heart. I don't really think you have a proper perspective of who God is and what his word says and what eternity is. So, that's what you, and that's the most loving thing that you can, un, that I can tell you and you can understand. The most, the most unloving thing would be to, to not tell you that and let you be content all the way on into eternity, which may be away, away from the Lord. So we need freedom also from the fear of man, which is the reason for spiritual hypocrisy. We aim to please man. Here's what, here's what this is. We, aim, we, we cleanse the outside, neglect the inside because we aim to please man and not to please God. This was the topic of what Paul was discussing when he said this. Look at the screen. For now, I am, am I seeking the approval of man or of who? Of who? God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. God must be the one in whom we aim to please. So, no need to be spiritually recognized, praised, accepted, thought highly of, fit in, or approved. The priority is, should be to please God. So we need freedom from the fear of, of man. Now, Jesus is gonna help us with both of these issues. Jesus is training his disciples as they shepherd his people, listen, as they shepherd his people, as they spread his gospel when he leaves, he's saying this to them, I really wanna help you with this. I want you to be different. Here's how you're going to spread my gospel, live for me, not be like the leaven of the Pharisees, the, the Pharisees, which the leaven is, the crowds are coming. Remember, the crowds are coming and he pulls his disciples aside and he says, listen, the leaven of the Pharisees has spread. They're just wanting to look spiritual on the outside. And he's saying, but as for you, this is what he's basically saying, disciples, but as for you, right? Here's how you are to avoid this. Have a proper fear of the Lord right? This is how you're going to be different, disciples. This is how you're going to change the world, disciples. This is how you're going to know me and make me known, disciples. And be holy, this is the only way you won't fall into this trap, disciples. 
It's the only way you won't do what the Pharisees do or try to even protect yourself from the crowds or even from the Pharisees' judgments. So let's move into the division of this matter in the text to make clear this main point in doctrine, the solution. How are we gonna divide this up by the text? Here's what the text does. It gives us one main solution, okay? And then it gives us two divisions of that solution so two parts. So the, Jesus is giving the disciples one main solution, making it very clear with two very important aspects of that solution. Jesus is giving the overarching theme, and then underneath, he's putting two supports underneath that, that overarching theme, okay? So I want to preview those three, just tell you what they're going to be, and I think they're going to become clear to you and really helpful when we just look at the text for a few minutes. So if you're used to listening here, you know that we... Man, it's just like we got to do so much work with biblical theology, historical theology, contextual information, thematic elements that tie to the greater story of Scripture, God's redemptive narrative, and so on. We don't have to do a lot of that work here because nothing has really changed in the past few weeks. We just get to be very what we call textual, meaning we just look at the text because we've already kind of discussed a lot of where we are in light of all of scripture, what Jesus is doing and uh, what the points are. So let's look at the text together. Here's the solution. You ready? The, the solution, as I've mentioned, that Jesus is giving his disciples to be free from spiritual hypocrisy is having a proper fear of the Lord. So here's, this will be our overarching theme. Ready? This is the solution. To be free from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man, we must develop a proper fear of the Lord. Okay, this is the overarching theme. To be free from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man, we must develop a proper fear of the Lord. It might seem counterintuitive, but that's the answer that scripture gives. He must increase, I and everyone else must decrease. And when I see who he is and what he requires, if God is so gracious to open my eyes and soften my heart to that reality and coming judgment and coming eternity, then I won't mess around with trying to please man who dies. I will serve the Lord for all of eternity. Now, beginning now, with a little bit of trembling. Right? And so here's the overarching theme. And the two aspects that Jesus highlights under that heading are belief in God's eternal authority and belief in God's sovereign care. Meaning this, why should you fear the Lord, disciples? Well, fear him because of his eternal authority and only fear him because of his sovereign care. Okay, so let's deal with these one at a time. First, we said to be free from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man, we must develop a proper fear of the Lord. This is the overarching theme. Let's read our verses. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. 
you are of more value than many sparrows. I think it's probably become clear to you by now. So the disciples, the leaven of the Pharisees is spreading, spiritual hypocrisy, right? And the disciples need to be different. This disciples need to be different. This is destructive. This will be damning. This will, they will be ineffective if they have the same priority as the Pharisees, which is to only look clean on the outside and to remain unclean on the inside. Here's how they are to be different, and Jesus is teaching them how. Okay? So, here we are. Now, you, can, you know in our, our culture, we, we call it um, here uh, in our culture, cancel culture. You ever heard of that? Cancel culture, which prevents you from being um, faithful to the truth because people might cancel you. If someone makes a post on social media about you or your family or your church and explicitly names you, the culture will cancel you, right? And uh, we can see that nothing's really changed. We just have social media now, right? So, so this is very applicable to us. We, we want to look clean on the outside so we're not canceled by people. But we fail to see what's really important, which is to be cleansed on the inside, and it's all due to the fear of man, but we fail to see who God is really in comparison to who man is. Right? Cancel culture is still around today. And, and honestly, true Christians who see God right would say, cancel me. Because <laughs> we're standing for the truth of God and his word. And, right? If you do, you can. Jesus said this was going to happen. People are going to utter all kinds of Things against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad in that day, right? So if you're not being canceled, if you're not having to at some level endure through it, then um, your Christianity might be more worldly than you think. You might be avoiding that to some level by denying the truth, being ashamed of the gospel, right? What's so upside down in this culture is that we must, we must realize that God said we were going to lose here. We're going to win there, we're going to lose here. Right? We act like we expect, why aren't we winning here? Listen, that's like Jesus was crucified, Paul was killed, Peter was killed, all his disciples are scattered, God calls from the outermost out, uh, uh, people, from, from the ends of the earth. Like we lose here. Actually, you should, the Bible says, beware if it looks like you're winning. It says, beware when all men speak well of you. Because your version of Christianity is probably worldly, or maybe you're not standing on the truth of the, of the gospel. So listen, the, the, the Pharisees are giving in to this. The crowds are giving in to this, right? And the true disciples, God's saying to the disciples, listen, you gotta have a little forbearance. And he's saying that to you too. Listen, you gotta have a little forbearance. You gotta have a little patience. Endure and trust yourself to man, to, to God for 60 years, maybe, if you're lucky, 80, if you're really lucky, 100, with maturity and a smile because you know the secret. 
The measuring stick of who wins and who loses in heaven will be radically different than the measuring stick of this world. Right? You gotta have an eternal perspective here. And we'll see who wins and loses. So, the fear of God was, is standing on his truth and doing what pleases him and asking him to radically transform your heart because you have an eternal perspective and you see God rightly. He's rightly in his, in his place. So, let's divide this up a little bit. Look at verse four with me. It says, I tell you, friends, so it's, Stop there. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. This is really important. It might seem insignificant. It's really important because remember back in verse one of chapter 12 when Jesus, the crowds are clamoring, they're coming to Jesus, they're coming, they're coming, and instead of the disciples saying, look, Jesus, thousands, 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 Jesus pulls them aside and says, beware, the leaven of the Pharisees has spread. People just wanna look spiritually clean on the outside, meaning they're unconcerned with their need for forgiveness and salvation and godliness on the inside. And now Jesus is saying, I tell you, friends, meaning this, he's still talking to his disciples. It brings clarity. So why did that bring clarity? Because here's how Christians, true disciples, sheep, should be different. Right? How do you be free from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man? How do we know? John 15, look at this, 14 through 16. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you what? What? Friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So the disciples, believers, follow me. Let me train you how to be different, freed from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man. Okay? So, and here's the answer in this whole thing the fear of the Lord. Look at it. You can just see it before we even get into the details. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. So don't, here it is, ready? Fear of man. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. Fear of man. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear of God. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Meaning your solution will come when you put God in his rightful place. You're not seeing God right. You're not seeing God right. You're not seeing eternity right. You're living in a figment of your imagination of what you want to be real and true, and it's not right. When you see God as he is and the people as they are, God, creator, sustainer, judge, standard, truth, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, holy, omnipresent, he determines eternity, He's the only one that can protect you who judges you based upon Christ, can care for you, and people as they are, created, not sovereign, not determining, not the source of truth, temporal, judged, sinful, needing saving, impotent, can't give identity, can't give worth, can't give value, they're just glorified opinions. You humble yourself and you see the reality 
of God's judgments entirely based upon God's truth in what will truly matter in eternity and you live for him. You live to please God. You will not just clean the outside because it's what people see. You will clean the inside because that's what God sees. 1 Samuel 16, 7, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on what? The heart. You will not be spiritually motivated by the fear of man to be seen by others because you realize that that means nothing. It comes from, when I tell you, this fear of man and the spiritual hypocrisy, it comes from a place of pride. Pride. You might say, well, no, for me it's insecurity. Insecurity is pride. It's just retitled and repackaged in order to be accepted by the world. Insecurity is pride. It's just repackaged. You care what others think. You might say, can you help me not care what others think? I'm insecure. No, you care what others think more than you care what God thinks. Humility frees you from insecurity, pride. Because then you say, I don't need to be thought highly of by others because my identity is determined by God. That's what true freedom brings, how you acquire true freedom. God says, so let me just show you, ready? Now let's establish the fear of the Lord. We're gonna, and then we'll get to these pillars in a second. God says this. Ready? Coming at you. He defines it as pride. How do you know? Well, it says it. He says this. Who are you? I'm speaking to you and to me. Okay? So don't hear me just lecturing you. Who are you to place man above me? That's pride. As determine your worth. your eternity, how you should follow me or not follow me. Who are you to do that? You say, does he really say that? Want me to show you? Sure, I'll show you. Ready? And this is God loving you, by the way. This is God loving you. If he didn't say this, just let you on your own, coast into an eternity apart from him. But, but feel the weight of this in love. Feel weighty, but it's loving, okay? Feel this, ready? I I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Who are you? Who are you to determine that? Of the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens? Who should you really aim to please? Who should you really be afraid of? Who should you really look at the requirements of? Who, by the way, let me tell you a little bit about myself, stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, and you fear continually all day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy? Where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. 
I'm going to take care of him. I am the Lord your God who stirs up seas so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. So here's what he says at the end. Wake up. Wake up. And that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples here. My friends, wake up. Don't clean the outside to be, to be seen by man or be afraid of man. Look at who I, I have to increase in your mind and then you will serve me and not only clean the inside or the outside, but the inside also. It frees us from spiritual hypocrisy. I gotta serve the Lord. He's the Lord. And I'm not gonna fear man because He's the Lord. God is shaking us out of our sinful boots here. He's got, to, he's got to train his disciples not to go down the same path of spiritual hypocrisies that, is Pharisee, that the Pharisees are, or to be taken by the crowds. And he's saying, here's how you're gonna do it. Fear God. Do you know that you who are in Christ, God calls you friends as well because he has forgiven your sins before him through the death of his son and now you have favor and protection with God. Don't clean the outside, clean the inside and everything will be clean. I love this. Let's look at a couple more. Ready? All the nations are as nothing before him. I love this. They are counted by him as here's nothing, ready? Less than nothing. How do you even do that? How, how is that accounted? All the nations, less than nothing. And emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? <laughs> A craft casts it. A craftsman casts it, right? Like, it's made by man. A goldsmith overlays it with gold. It casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished then for the gold or the silver, he'll just make an idol out of, out of wood, right? And will seek out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. It's dead. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely they are planted, scarcely sown, scarcely their stem takes root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Says the Holy One, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. There's the fear of the Lord. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, now one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by him, the inside he doesn't see? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint and weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's able to give power to the faint and to him who has no might, increased strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. 
but he doesn't, so he's able to give strength to everyone, right? So, this is the reason. One more, let me show you this. Isaiah 46, six through 11. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease, uh, makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. By the way, one of the most contextually inaccurate verses to ever be used in all of the Bible. It's like you got that on your pillow, right? Be still and know that I am God. What he's saying here is, I am going to destroy all of the pagan nations. And I will make sure that my name is exalted on the earth. Be still and know that I am who? God. Right? The Lord of hosts is his name. So, can I tell you this? The fear of the Lord. If we would, if we would have a deep and meaningful fear of the Lord. It's not marginal. It's all over the Bible. The Lord, this is pervasive in all of the scriptures, this fearsomeness of the gospel of God, who God is and what sin is. We gotta let this sink deeply in. But can I tell you, look at all the blessings and the benefits of it. Let me show you some verses. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Deuteronomy 6, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him only you shall serve. Verse 15, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what's being said here. This is what Jesus is saying, in other words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you know who he is and what his word says, you will rightly live for him and not for man. You'll be wise as to who to really live for. It's the beginning of wisdom. Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Isaiah 66, but this is to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. That's who he's gonna look to, right? Hebrews 12, 24. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, which is Jesus. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates that the removal of all things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's New Testament, not old. You know, it sounds like old, right? So thank God that he has appeased God's wrath himself through Christ, kissed the son, lest he be angry, trust in Christ, Fear the Lord. Live for him, not anybody else. You remember in the Chronicles of Narnia when they said of Aslan, he's not safe, but he's good. Right? 
He's not safe, but he's good. Here's the definition, and then we're just gonna briefly look for the next 10 minutes or so at the two pillars. Here's a definition that I wanna put forth. How can we biblically define the fear of the Lord? Here's what we'll say. Ready? An accurate understanding of who God is as revealed in his word resulting in appropriate worship in all of life according to his truth by his spirit and through Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to dissect that, but spend some time with it this week. An accurate understanding of who God is as revealed in his word, resulting in appropriate worship in all of life according to his truth by his spirit through Jesus Christ. And this frees us, true disciples, from spiritual hypocrisy. And you will live for him. And you'll see what he says. And you want to please him and find his requirements. Because you care far more about what God requires than what man thinks. So now let's look at these two pillars very briefly. Jesus says, my friends, you should fear the Lord. First, because of God's eternal authority. God's eternal authority. Let's look at this, okay? Let's look at it with me. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So, Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of the Pharisees who may kill you. Don't be like the Pharisees. Cleanse the outside, neglect the inside. Because the worst man can do to you is kill the body. That's his reasoning here. The worst that man can do to you is what? Kill the body. But after that, they can do nothing. They don't have say or hold with your eternity. There's nothing more that they can do after they kill the body. Jesus is saying that to comfort you. You say, well, (laughs) that doesn't comfort me too much, right? It should, but should also cause some trembling. Don't, Don't fear man. You can't determine your eternity, right? All they can do is take away your temporary life and then it gives way to eternity. Verse five, he says this, but I will warn you, so this is a warning. That's why this first one sounds like a warning and the second one sounds like a comfort because it's, it's both here. This is Jesus' warning to them. Here's how you're gonna be free from spiritual hypocrisy. Here's how you're gonna be free from the fear of man. I'll warn you, don't go into that. Why? I will warn you whom to fear, fear God. The one who after he has killed, if he decides to take your life, has the authority to cast it into hell based upon whether or not you've trusted in his merit for the forgiveness of your sins. Do what he says. Trust in his word. Believe in Christ. Follow him. Because it's based upon his standards that will determine your eternity, not man's. 
This is increasing the fear of the Lord. He says, yes, I tell you. Let me repeat it one more time. Fear him. Fear him. Don't have or say or hold on to what man says. This life is temporary. Fear the one who will determine your eternity. The Bible and Jesus here is putting God as the righteous judge, not man. God who will be the righteous judge, not man. Do you want to have acceptance and praise right now and later on prove not to be born again? Or do you want to take very seriously and look very closely at his words, his gospel, and his truth and be with him for all of eternity? Like when Mark says this, for what does it profit a, whole, a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or when he says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The fear of God, because of his eternal authority. Right? John 5 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in Believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus will be the one who executes judgment. Acts 17, 31 says, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who is appointed, Jesus Christ. And this he has given assurance by raising this man from the dead, meaning the only, what you will be judged upon will be your relation to Jesus Christ. Right? Not what man thinks about you. So, Understanding this should cause you to be faithful to him and not to man. So let's look at the second one really quickly. And by the way, let me just tell you this. I encourage you. Therefore, you can understand man does not determine what happens to you. God does. So follow him faithfully in his word. Man cannot determine your eternity. Only God does. So it would be a little bit silly, to put it nicely, to follow that. Why would you only clean the outside when God is the one who sees the inside and will judge you based upon your cleanness before him? That wouldn't make any sense. Man can only kill the body. God has the authority to determine your eternity, right? So secondly, sovereign care. We just mentioned this. The second pillar that Jesus gives to wise disciples should fear the Lord, God's sovereign care. And this is where the fear of the Lord is flipped, not to warn us, but to encourage us. So now he's saying to the disciples, it's right for you only to fear me above man because I'm the sovereign Lord and I am the one who will care for you and protect you. Fear me. This is still the fear of the Lord, knowing who he is and who man is. 
rightly. And taking comfort in one above the other. He's forcing a ranking here. Right? So Jesus is not only telling his disciples it is right to please God because of his eternal authority, but because of his sovereign care above all things. He is the one caring for you. Him. (laughs) Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. I'm sovereign over even the smallest detail. And I'm the sovereign Lord. That's a perfect combo right there. I pay attention to every detail. And I'm sovereign. Don't be afraid. Don't please man. Even the consequences come because of your holiness, your righteousness, your faithfulness to the word of God. Even when consequences come, don't be afraid. I will determine the outcome. The outcome might be that I determine that you suffer. But I'm going to determine the outcome and I'll be over every detail. Let's look at this real quickly. Verses six through seven kind of switches gears here. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. He says it again. Fear not what? What do you mean, fear not? What should you not be afraid of? Well, in this context, again, fear of man. Don't be afraid of man, because he just said, I'll tell you, do not fear those who kill the body. So it's in the same respect. Jesus, this, the context of this verse, verses six and seven, are still the fear of man. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore, don't be afraid. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is saying here, five sparrows are worth less. Each sparrow is worth less than a half a cent each. And every one of them is accounted for, identified, noticed, cared for, providentially directed and protected by God. And man, God's very good creation... And those who are in Christ, his very children, he cares about them so much. He's formed them with so much detail and attention and intentionality and care. They are so important to him. They hold so much value that even when he made you, he said, here's how much hair I'm going to give you. If you think he doesn't care, he determines. Some he gave more than others, okay? Right? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. Okay. I don't know. Uh, I won't go any further with that. He says this. That's how much care I had when it was even forming you. The point of this, of this parable, or not parable, but the point of this uh, information, this story, this information of the five sparrows, the hair of your head, it's not fictitious, it's true. But the point is that Jesus is emphasizing he is attentive to even the smallest of details. Even a half a bird worth a half a cent or a one hair is not out of his notice or care. Therefore, why would you fear man? Meaning, if you think that some details might be overlooked, they won't be. If you think that your faithfulness, your spirituality, your, your belief in Christ, your trust in him, and, and the response that you get, the persecution against you, your family, yourself, your church, whatever it may be, that people are deciding the outcome of your life. No, they're not. 
He will decide every detail. It doesn't mean, again, that it's gonna be always good because God wills that you sometimes should suffer and persecute and be rejected and criticized and canceled and even killed. He's not saying here, don't be afraid. Fear me only because I'm gonna protect you from every bad thing. And then when you're left in a bad place, you're saying, I guess God didn't protect me. No, he's saying that even when he wills that that is so, he will be over every detail of it. He's not like taking a break from his sovereignty. Right? And let me just show you these verses and then we'll be done here. How do we know? Look, First Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's what? Will. Okay, so God wills that we suffer. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. John 16, In this world, you may have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. First Peter 2, 19. Let me just show you this one. Last one. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, when you were sinning are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Wait a second, what? Did anyone tell you that's what you were being called to when you signed up for Christianity? Suffering for doing good. That's what you were called, Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, suffered for doing good. That he might leave you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Makes you more like him because he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return, right? Meaning you're not yet like him. Can you do that? But suffering is gonna make you like him. So here's what Jesus is saying here. You may suffer, you may not, but I'm over every detail. Don't fear man. Fear me because I'm sovereign over every detail and it will be my care. So friends, we can be free from spiritual hypocrisy and the fear of man through fearing the Lord. And we should fear God and not man and therefore be faithful to God and not man because of God's eternal authority and because of God's sovereign care. Let's pray. Father, we come before you through Christ. We ask that you would please take your word this one hour a week that we get to spend together. Don't let it end here. Help it to just um, simmer in our hearts and in our minds so that as we leave, this would have its effect in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.